I'm Morgan. And I'm Isabeau. And this is Womance. A podcast about romance novels. About floral wallpapers. About train robberies. About holding on to dignity, but what for? About nursing people back to health with holistic remedies. About mustaches. About feet. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are discussing Hummingbird by Laverle Spencer. And we're doing this for a very specific listener named Daniel L., who commented on episode 62, The Proposition, also (laughs) about mustaches. Ooh, we got your number, Daniel L. Daniel L. And it's the same as mine. (laughs) (laughs) And his message was so kind. It said, hey, I don't know if you take recommendations. We do. (laughs) If you do, would you do Laverle Spencer's Hummingbird? And we said... Yes. Thank you. Instantaneously. Thank you for asking. Thank you for offering up this recommendation. Now, before we get into it, I shall read a summary courtesy of Goodreads because a lot of the summaries for this novel are very short and very vague. But I found a good one on the website as their like main summary. The bandit and the gentleman. Mm. Both were wounded in the same train robbery in Frontier, Colorado and left on Abigail McKenzie's doorstep to nurse back to life. Gentle, loving David, promising her a happiness she'd lost hope of finding was all a lady could wish for. Jesse stood for everything she hated. He was rude, violent, roughly handsome, and disturbingly sensual. But it was Jesse's mocking mouth that troubled her dreams. Jesse, who made her feel a hundred things a lady should never know. Jesse, who challenged her every waking hour. She fought him with all the stiff propriety her stubborn will commanded. But in her burned the aching embers of love too long denied. Love that would force her to make a choice no woman should ever have to make. Bum, bum, bum. To be clear, the ending isn't exactly Sophie's choice. No, (laughs) at all. But can we actually start by taking this summary paragraph by paragraph? Because there's some stuff I want to elucidate about it. Both were wounded in the same train robbery in Frontier, Colorado. David accuses Jesse of being a train robber and shooting him. Jesse says, I did shoot him. I'm not a train robber. But everyone in the town assumes he is the train robber. And so the doctor has a really hard time finding anyone who will take both of them in, both the hero and the villain. And our heroine volunteers because her father has recently passed away. She nursed him through a really long fight with cancer and she is now broke. And she was going to apply for a job at a restaurant when she sees us hullabaloo and offers to take on the nursing nursing of these two men on the railroad's dime. Gentle, loving David. David's a wet blanket. Also, he didn't have a stutter in the first half of the book and then he gets a stutter and then he's also like conniving. I think David should have his whole own like discussion period because he is a really interesting foil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything else is pretty much spot on. Yeah. One point I do want to expand on the dedication of this novel. Yes. With love to mom and Pat and thanks to Janice Ian, whose poignant love song, Jesse, inspired me to write this story. Isabel and I share books a lot just to give you a little inside baseball. We share books a lot and so I was the first one to have this book. I read the dedication. I like a little Janice Ian. I hadn't heard this song so I immediately looked it up. First time I listened to it I was like oh god. Second time I listened to it a little bit less. To this day I now listen to it and try not to cry on the train. (laughs) It has infected my 
soul. <laughs> I want to swallow the light on the stairs with Jesse. I want to swallow the light on the stairs is such a good line. Here's the thing. If you don't have Janice Ian in your life, take this opportunity to put that song mistress into your ear holes and back into your heart. I just want to thank Daniel L for bringing this book with this dedication into my life. It's so sensual. It's so melancholic. Ugh. It is. It's sensual and melancholic. And I actually think that's a really good way of describing Hummingbird. So that's the paratext. Where do we begin? I think we should begin where the book begins with Great. our heroine. Abby. Abby. Abigail. Well, she goes by Abigail. Miss Abigail. Miss Abigail. She is in an old uh, West Colorado town. I pictured Golden, Colorado. Personally, did you have a Colorado in mind? You know, I didn't for the longest time. I knew I was in the West, but I wasn't sure where. So I was imagining the town town in When Calls the Heart that Aunt Becky was unceremoniously dismissed from after her whole college scandal broke. I didn't watch When Calls the Heart. That's a lot of gibberish to me. <laughs> anyway, it's a mountain town. It's in Canada, though, isn't it? Sure is. There's a Mountie. Okay. Well, this one's in Colorado, yep. which is in the United States of America. Sure is. And they just got a railroad spur, which means that they can get new doodads and ship out their whatever mining ore that they're sending. Yeah. Yeah. So like Golden, Colorado. Yeah. Do they have mining and Wind Calls the Heart? Yes. The opening of the show starts with a mining disaster where 49 miners die. So what's interesting about this novel compared to a lot of romance novels, a lot of romance novels begin with the characters because I think it's safe to say that tends to be the most important part of a romance. This one starts with world building. Yes. And does so through this daily ritual of, you know, the town doesn't have a lot going on. Most of their excitement, most of their interest, most of their news revolves around the rail road. Mm-hmm. When the train gets to town, mm-hmm. who's on it, all this stuff. And we realize in our first scene, something is amiss. The train is running late. Yep. And then suddenly the guy comes screeching into the station, all of this action. But the story really begins with people assuming their part in the daily ritual of the train coming to town. There's mm-hmm. the guy who's unemployed, who goes to the station to kind of hang out, sweep the deck just to kind of be in the mix. We do meet Miss Abigail as uh, someone who is very put together very uptight I think the book would feel and just someone who is like a beacon of decorum in Old West Town preparing to leave her home so that she can go apply for a job so we get a lot of insight into her and not only do we get insight into her but we get insight into her outsider status where it's like she wears white gloves at 12 p.m. noon on one of the hottest days in June. It gets hot in Colorado. Yeah. Like she's uncomfortable. Like her decorum All the is time. such that she is uncomfortable. And no one else in the town Her is, hat with the daisies on it. Right. And no one else in the town is quite so proper. And no one else yeah. in the town is making themselves that uncomfortable for the sake of propriety. And there's this detail about the daisies on her hat which is so interesting. It's such a whimsical touch that is so out of place on her. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she's ramrod straight stick up her butt and uh, she walks into a hullabaloo the trains come screeching in as Morgan said and we have an unconscious man taken out on a stretcher and then a slightly more conscious man coming out on a different stretcher they're like what are we gonna do with these guys and the doctor's like will anyone take both men for money and she says I will and the doctor's like oh thanks goodness this pinnacle of politeness and manners has put the townspeople just wanting this train robber to die to shame and he also 
knows that she's up for it because she nursed her father for so long. Although he does sick. have this like, hey, one of the guys was shot really high up on the thigh. If it had been two inches over more, yeah. he would have lost what made him most. And I was yeah. like, it's like he is. He, yeah, he does have a moment where he's like, I'm going to prepare you. You're going to see someone's penis. Yeah. And she very naturally is like, I don't see how I'll be any different from my dad. <laughs> And the doctor's like, oh, all right, okay, then. fair enough. <laughs> I'm not uh. going to tell you what for. <laughs> and so they get installed in her house. David Melcher, uh, the quote unquote gentleman, is installed upstairs uh-huh. and Jesse's installed downstairs. In her bedroom. In her bedroom. Jesse. And Jesse was shot by David in the groin area and the mm-hmm. pelvis. He is unconscious. He gets really sick. And our heroine has to go through a lot of work to keep keep him alive. Mm-hmm. When I was reading it, I was grossed out and bored by it. <laughs> That's so funny that you were grossed out and bored. I was grossed out and engrossed. <laughs> <laughs> she like forms a straw with which she can spit broth down his throat. So All that he the way down waste. his throat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. She <laughs> creates poultices. So many poultices. She does see his penis. More than once. She sees how hairy he is, his She's masculinity. And just hairy like in the proposition, Daniel like L, she becomes obsessed by this idea of his masculinity in a way that she can't really reconcile. So she shaves his mustache while he's unconscious. Oh my God. And she says it's going to make it easier for her to blow soup down his neck. And I, that's not true. No, she was disturbed by the softness of his mustache. She could have just gotten a longer straw. She could have made a longer straw since she made the first one out of like a fr- cattail. Yeah. Anyway, also yeah. she Vince straws. <laughs> Sorry, turtles. <laughs> Zing. Burn on turtles or burn on straws. Who knows? Who knows? Both. <laughs> and so, like, there's so many bodily scenes, and like, there's even this like weird, like, gory scene where yeah. he's like getting gangrene, and she's like has his thigh. She like, has to cut off his flesh. Yeah, and she's got his like thigh up on her shoulder so she can get a Think better look at it. Think and she's about it. cutting away his flesh and then like packing the wound with like mushrooms and stuff and like it's clinical but also sensual in like ways that I, I'm still well, coming like, to grips with. A leg over the shoulder. Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of a reverse you know, yeah, it's a reverse of gender roles in like a really interesting way that's super erotic. Super erotic. I just want to be really clear. While she's spitting broth down his neck, they're basically making out. Yeah, it's like a weird tingle. Yeah, and like <laughs> she works so hard. And there's this one night where like David knows that she's working really hard to save his life, and he's like kind of upset and also jealous about it. And he comes down to like check on her because she hasn't brought his breakfast up to him yet, and she's lying like face down on the bed with her her hand on Jesse's thigh. Her, her face is in his abdomen. Right. And her hand is on his thigh and her other hand is on his chest. And like, she's just trying to keep him still because he's been moving a lot. And she fell asleep like that. And she fell asleep like that. And it looks incredibly oh erotic. And Anatomy his hand, of a scene. Hang on. And his hand is in her hair. Right. So that's the setting. I want to go through okay. the blocking of it. Yeah, the blocking's so good. So David hops downstairs because he got shot in the foot and he doesn't hear breakfast being made. Mm-hmm. And because David kind of sucks. He's like, well, go see what's going on. Breakfast. Yeah. And she has her bedroom door open. She's in the described state. Jesse is naked. Mm-hmm. She is in her chemise and robe because she had gone to check on him in the middle of the night and discovered he was so sick. And then she discovered that the doctor was out of town. And so she did all this stuff. Oh yeah, there's mud on her hem because she ran yeah, to the to doctors. doctors. And David comes in on this scene. He is horrified. Yeah. And then he 
reasons it correctly that she was just trying to heal him and he's sure there's a reasonable explanation so he creeps back upstairs then jesse his eyes flutter open and he starts to move and we get the next part of the scene from his perspective and he thinks he's still dreaming and that there's a witch and he talks about how haggard she looks and Mm -hmm. her crazy hair and he can't believe he's touching her and that Mm -hmm. she's touching him and he's revolted but he's too tired to do anything he passes back out our heroine awakes with the tension in his ab muscles waking her up and she looks at him she realizes the scene she watches him sleep is overcome she gets up and thinks oh god what if david had seen me Mm -hmm. like it, it is a single like two minutes told from three different perspectives it is so magically cinematic mm-hmm. and that's what you get with Hummingbird by Laverle Spencer you get this really like everything is sexy yes even the like stuff with the non-hero with the foil is like kind of sexy yeah and it's just like everything is sexy everything is cinematic I am obsessed a, I think about this book all the time everything's in a sepia filter yes the lens is greased with Vaseline Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah, so it's cinematic, it's beautiful, and like every perspective is given space to like have a thoughtful turn of a thought. Like David works through, he's like, oh shit, she's been traipsing around in the dark with this dark train robber. And then he's like, no, she's a nurse and she's a nice lady and she brought sonnets to me. So like, here I am being a jealous wreck. Right, and like that's bad. That's unfair of me. Let me go upstairs and breakfast will be a, a long short. Yeah. This book really spends time with its scenes and we usually get more than one perspective on them. Yeah. So David is healed Mm -hmm. and he and our heroine, basically most of the time David's in, Jesse is in and out of consciousness. He's really sick. Yeah. And so she spends her days kind of congenially preparing meals for this man who she shares a love of sonnets with and is like a shoe salesman from Pennsylvania from the East Coast and like sitting in her garden and having breakfast and lunch and dinner and you know that kind of thing and then she spends her late evenings laboring over (laughs) keeping this mustachioed man alive she spends a lot of time just like staring at him Mm -hmm. and he's fully nude Mm -hmm. throughout this even though we know about his injury it's the most female gazy book that I've encountered in a while for sure and it like spares no expense for this female gaze both in like the ways in which like unmarried woman of 33 would be like repulsed and fascinated by like long hairy toes but also in the way in which she's like oh my god like the inhale exhale of like his pectoral muscles yeah. is like too in all much the ways, to bear it, it starts off with like all the ways he's different from her dad yeah which is like weird and gross but also like feels icky enough to be interesting in a very special way <laughs> very special way. It is one of those books that is a Burt Reynolds type hero, which I know is, or who did you picture? So it will come as no surprise to longtime listeners that I was torn between (laughs) Burt Reynolds and Billy D. Williams circa 1985. Like very much like Lady Sings the Blues, Billy D. Williams, but in cowboy gear. Yeah mustache like a Beverly Jenkins cover yeah dark curly hair big smile big big big, chest yeah just like mustache yeah mustache and like big presence and I think like more than anything Jesse's presence like fills the house yes whenever he's conscious (laughs) it fills the house one of the things I like is that Miss Abigail is initially attracted to him well she's lusting after him and she doesn't really have the reference points or 
world knowledge to know that that's what's happening. She's like, I feel different about him than I do about David. Poor David is such a Baxter. Milk toast. Oh my God. But David shows a little something yeah. later on. We'll talk about yeah. it. We'll get to that. We'll get to the boots. But, <laughs> but she doesn't have the language for that. Meanwhile, Jesse, not really attracted to our heroine right off the bat. No, she's prim and proper. She's motherly, but all in like the stern ways, like a mother superior, not like a mother. Yeah. And not only is he sensual, but like in the sense of like sex, but he's also like a sensual creature in the terms of food. He comes from Louisiana. Where, oh, like, yeah. Yeah. He's from New Orleans. Exactly. And so it's like there's food and there's touch and there's song and like there's... And he's getting fed broth because that's all he can take. Right. And like very bland foods. And he's very frustrated by it because he can smell all of the like... Good food. Delicious pork chops she's making. For David. For David. And meanwhile, she feeds him liver, which is the one food he can't stomach. So he eats the liver so he can vomit on her and like, <laughs> God, it's so bodily. Yeah, this this is like a crazy bodily book. But and like, he's not attracted to her. He's like, no. I'm going to fucking vomit on you. Yeah. Hag. I hate you. Yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. And she keeps referring to him as a robber and like at first is insistent that he's not. And he wakes up and he's looking for his camera and she's like, I know you don't have a camera train robber. Well, he says camera and she thinks he's saying his name is Cameron because she's like, give me your name because they need that for the police inquiry. Right. And also she doesn't want him to die without anyone knowing his name. Yeah. And so she thinks his name is Mr. Cameron. So she calls him Mr. Cameron for most of the book. Yeah. And he's like, call me Jesse. And she's like, no, Mr. Cameron. Yeah. And he's like, that's not even my last name, but okay. Yeah. And he kind of gets just like, he's like, eh, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the I'm train Cameron, robber. I'm the fucking train robber. If that's what you're going to think about me, I'm never going to change your mind, jerk. And that should have been our first tip that Jesse has fuck you money. Yeah. It should have been. <laughs> but like secret royal. Yeah. Super surprised that Jesse has all of the money. Majority. Owns the train. Yeah. That owns, he was shot on. Owns the majority stakeholder in the train and the spur. And but like book- didn't want her to know. Okay. Secret Royal. I share this feeling with Clayton from learning the tropes. If you haven't listened to that, I hate secret Royals, but this secret Royal <laughs> has a pretty fucking tight payoff. This is actually a very fucking cool ending in my estimation. I wasn't super stoked that he had to be secret rich. Although I will say that like putting a secret Royal in the guise of a secret rich self-made mogul makes it somewhat more palatable. It makes it so American and capitalist. It does. But you know, okay, Okay. Fine. I was actually surprised by it. As was I. I was like totally shocked. I was like, this guy, he's earthy. I know. That's what I thought too. I'm like, he's like a dock worker or like a cameraman. Like I believe that he was like a self-taught camera dude who like was making his living on the railroad. 100% yeah. believe that line. Easy enough. Okay. 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 So bullshit David heals up and leaves. He has to return to his shoe business. Jesse comes to appreciate his sparring with Abby. He calls her Abby and he really enjoys her company and feels frustrated by her existence, her insistence on propriety, her insistence on following rules. They set a lot of parameters for how they're going to interact with one another. And then they just keep failing. Like he like feels her up and oh, it's so good. Not only does he feel her up, but like that's like a particular scene where it's like not only is he in this weird propriety hate spiral with Abby, yeah. but he's also playing a game with David that David isn't aware of because like David's kind of a drip. And so like <laughs> David's leaving and he's copying a feel on Abby so that David sees it and then he's like David freaks the fuck out and he's is like, like oh my god you scarlet woman and she's like that's not even what it was but if you think that fine leave and then David's like oh wait maybe I didn't mean what and she's like that doesn't matter go leave yeah, yeah. he leaves 
in bad standing with Abby. And then Abby feels like David was her last chance at happiness. So like her emotions. Because she had been engaged right. and then her dad got sick and her lover was like, I didn't sign up for this. Deuces. Yeah. And so like all of that is happening in the background and then like David leaves. She feels like her last chance at happiness walks through that door and she looks at Jesse and she's like, I Your hate- fault. Your fault. And like, correct. But also like <laughs> she like throws a bedpan at him and like screams and she like is unleashes. Right. And she physically succumbs to her emotion for like the first time maybe ever. I love that one of the first visions of the heroine being truly herself isn't when she's like in her garden or embroidering or doing some kind of like delicate artistic expression, helping the needy. She gets fucking mad. And I love that our hero is like <laughs> hot dog. He's like, hello, human being inside of the ice princess. Goodness gracious. I love it. Yeah. I am full of rage. <laughs> I like to think that people are turned on by it. Or at least rate five stars if you're turned on. <laughs> Tell your friends rage. And like in that moment, it was a witness of a different kind of strength and vulnerability and like yes. it was the two things at once. But acknowledge both of them. She comes back and she apologizes and says like this is my weakness and he's like what are you talking about? That was fucking baller. Yeah and he's like and also I'm the one who should have apologized because I was the asshole in the scenario. Don't yeah. apologize for things. He was like he was very upfront. He was like I fucking manipulated that situation. It went exactly as I wanted it to. Yeah. You should be mad at me. Because I did that. Yeah. That kind of also, intellectual sparring with uh, someone who's like here I'm coming for you. Yeah. Is like but also like he never gaslit her no and like I didn't realize how attractive that was in sparring until like I had it it. laid before me that's why I like it because he's not gaslighting her he's like yeah no I did that I did that exactly it was on purpose yeah of course I did it and she's like well why and he doesn't give her the satisfaction of being like because I want you until two minutes later (laughs) he's like you're a woman hot Uh, body but he also doesn't do that like because you're a woman hot body he's like I don't know why I like you. Yeah. I'm Isn't confused it enough by it. that we just like each other? Yeah. Can't we just like have that? Yeah. Loved it. Oh my God. Oh. go to the creek. Wait, 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 wait. We haven't even gotten to the part. She shaved his mustache while he was unconscious. Yes. And he realizes she shaved his mustache. It takes him five days. And she like lives. Which in- I do not believe. Fine. But she lives in this kind of like weird paroxysm of like fear, not fear, anxiety slash excitement yeah. of him finding out. And so like he's going to shave and she's like, it's been five days. His hair grows really fast on his face. Maybe he won't notice. Yeah. And then he fucking notices. He literally. just like the proposition. But there is something. It is just. Well, except he knew. Yeah. Did it on purpose himself. Whereas this is like against his will, which is a whole interesting thing about consent. He is emasculated by her. And calls her out specifically for that. He's like, I was too much of a man for you. And this is what you did to me. And she's like, no, it was hard for me to save your life. (laughs) She gaslights him. Yeah, Well, not effectively. Right, because he's like, no, it wasn't. Must be nice to be a dude. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There aren't like a series of ads in television commercials telling you you're crazy anyways. (laughs) It's true. But yeah, there's this thing where like the book makes explicit he is the pinnacle of masculinity, but she has all of the power. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's because he's sick and broken, but then eventually because he doesn't know what to do with himself Mm -hmm. around her. And she has her list of rules that Mm -hmm. allows her to navigate things. It is ultimately what keeps them apart Mm -hmm. in the third act of the novel. Mm -hmm. But it is like, I mean, the book just makes explicit like it, it oh which allows our sex scene to be so <sighs> effective 
I would say. Okay, but we haven't even gotten to the creek scene. The creek is great. So the doctor tells her that he has to start doing physical activity. So she's like, okay, he can sit in the garden. Oh, he's naked most of the time. Yeah, he's like so literally she, walking around in new dungarees. Yeah, so and no shirt. Yeah, unbuttoned dungarees what? and no shirt. Like, what the fuck is this book? And it's like always mid-afternoon. So everything's like warm and they're, like, they're yeah. drinking lemonade. And he's like constantly like needling her. But there's this moment where like he makes her laugh like unreservedly like he says something that really just tickles they, they her. do they get into these really tense moments and then one of them genuinely makes the other one laugh and I had a couple moments when I laughed out loud oh me too Jesse's genuinely most funny most of the romantic comedies that have come out recently have not been able to do that for me yeah Jesse's genuinely funny she's genuinely she funny she is and I think in those moments where like they truly surprise each other yeah that's like just genuinely shared where it's like when somebody <sighs> validates so your joke good. by laughing and like unexpectedly and she has this thing where she's like, I didn't realize I hadn't laughed in so long because now in the laughing, I don't remember the last time I laughed. Yeah. And it's like that kind of self-realization is just like so perfect. When joy comes back into your life after like a period of mourning or depression and like you remember, you're like, oh yeah, I want to live. But there's nothing, she doesn't say like, I haven't laughed in so long. Like she's never that vulnerable no. with Jesse and he's never that vulnerable with her, but it's enough to just share something. Like it doesn't have to be freighted with all of this like prepare for my backstory (laughs) (laughs) type shit like she does share with him like in bits and pieces what her background is but it's never like the point of her like who she was Jesse understands to be completely separate from who she is and who she wants to be really I don't think she knows who she wants to be and I think Jesse has a better idea and like in that sense of like a classic romance trope of like I see you I see you as you want to be Yes. Well, the most important part of romance is Boots so she up. she doesn't really know who she is, but it, I think Jesse does see her so clearly, and that mm-hmm. is one of the best parts of romance is the idea of being known even when you don't know yourself. It's such a, a relief. Also, being known as something like magical and special. Yeah, that is so wonderful. And the thing is, is like David knows the her that she wants to be, mm-hmm. but he doesn't know it as magical and special. He knows it as appropriate. Right. Like. Normal. It's normal to have lustful feelings. It's normal to like good food. It's normal to laugh. It's normal to sing. And in that way, her life was really stunted by propriety. And like, there's something about like his New Orleans, like earthy upbringing that's like, well, bring a little life in. But both of them kind of have that tale with her. So I want to talk about this scene in the pond where Jesse has a breakthrough with her. So the doctor says Jesse has to start getting used to traveling. Mm -hmm. So she, rents a carriage one Sunday after mm-hmm. she gets super wet thinking about him in church. Yeah, her boobs get super tight. She gets very wet. She's just like, you know, like whenever you're listening to something boring, so you might as well be thinking about something you love. So she's, so she gets super wet in church. Love it! <laughs> and really she nice. returns home and he's in his unbuttoned dungarees and she's like, for fuck's sake! <laughs> she goes out and she asks the doctor to buy him a suit, rents him a carriage, takes him out, and she takes him to a creek because she doesn't mm-hmm. really know like what other destination to go to. Jesse is very charmed by the fact that she obviously doesn't know how to run a carriage. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, let's get into the creek. It's hot. It's so hot. Let's get into the creek. And she's far too bashful to show yeah. her ankles. And he eventually convinces her to have this experience. And she has what is a sensual experience. 
experience because of him. But the book makes explicit the fact that it's not sexual. Right. Like it is just for her. Mm-hmm. Like Jesse isn't getting like all hot and bothered watching her in the pond. He's like, you are uncomfortable. It's going to feel so good to get in that cold water. You should do it. And she does it. He gives her space to do something for herself. Mm -hmm. And the book does this thing where it keeps the male gaze out of it. It's not like he's like... Perving on her. Yeah, perving on her about it. And then they sit and talk. And then she returns home and she's received a package. Red. Slutty red boots from David. David Melcher for (laughs) the shadowy win of red kid leather boots. And I will say like as a human being who grew up... in the shadow of Dorothy having red Oh, shoes. shut up, Missouri. Don't even fucking talk to me no. about growing up in the shadow of Dorothy. Sure, I'm not from Kansas, but the idea of having red shoes and red shoes being somehow magical. Well, red shoes, anything is possible in red shoes. Right, literally anything. And so having them is like a secret power. Yeah. And then like the fact that they're like red. Suddenly let- she can become a wanton woman in right. this town that has known her her whole life. As this propriety old bitty. Yeah, and now she's someone else and the idea that David gave those to her his subconscious sexuality is writ large and she is a woman to him and they're the perfect size and they're soft and and they're like this is gonna be all the rage and she's like people are gonna think I'm a trollop and then she's like I want people to think I'm a trollop I want to wear them and so David does give her this like I truly think it's interesting that David provides her explicitly with the sexual portal to like other worlds you're exactly right. I mean, I don't think you're exactly right in that you grew up in the shadow of Dorothy. I think like but anybody I, in that movie is important to as a child is like Ruby Slippers. And truly, we all grow up in the shadow of yes. Wizard of Oz. Some of us to greater detriment than others. But <laughs> Indeed. I do. I just, I think you're exactly right. Like these red shoes become a way for her to reimagine herself. Right. Even though like it'll be hard to see them because she's got these long, long skirts. skirts. And then it becomes like a secret thing but also a peak the changes in her wardrobe from David are to explicitly sexualize her even if it's not conscientious the changes in her wardrobe from Jesse are about her own comfort and her own being and so that contrast is also really interesting and really rich clothing as a way to communicate the differences between two men having control in her life and I also influence 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 and I think it's like really important that the shoes show up after the scene at the river yeah. Because like, I don't think she would have been open in the same way. even way'd... putting them on. Exactly. And she wouldn't have like had astonished joy. Yes. That came with it. I think her first reaction without the creek would have been. And so in that way, it's like how people touch us, like the ripples that move through our lives, yes. even with like not great people. By making her lovers twofold, this book does a good job of avoiding that kind of icky romance-ness of she is who she is because of this man. Right. Because her origin story can't be pinned to any one man her father her ex-fiance David Melcher and Jesse they all just become like parts of her story as opposed to the be all end all right I say that without talking about the ending which I'm so excited to talk about can't but wait let's to talk first about talk it. about the sex we scene. have to talk about the sex scene because so much 
has happened in the interiority of both of our main characters. And, you know, David's gone and she understands that he's not coming back. But at this point in the novel, we have a dramatic irony wherein we, the audience, know that Jesse is a secret rich man and that he... We, we don't know that yet. No, we do right before the sex scene because he knows that David's back in town suing the train company no, and no. it's oh, been yes, revealed. Yes, yes, yes. And so when she... His friend has come to visit yeah. and he said she's going to give you a $5,000 glass of lemonade. She gives him his friend a glass of lemonade. The friend leaves. She has a check for $5,000 yep. on her table and she thinks, wow, Jesse has a rich friend. Yeah, but no, it's Jesse. It's Jesse's check. And Jesse also knows that David is in town because he's suing the railroad for $10,000 because he's going to walk with a limb for the rest of his life. Yeah. So then he comes back for the last night. Because Jesse freaks out about the red shoes. He's right. like, all right, if you want everyone to think you're a harlot, that's fucking fine. And she's like, that's Wish not what I this is. is. Because I think Jesse wishes he had been the person to unlock that totally. in her. So he comes back. They're going to have this like last dinner together and like, you know, all the stuff is laid, the candles. They have this really nice night. They're sitting on the porch together eating chicken salad <laughs> and he like has his arm around her and like they're just like listening to the songs of the cicadas and then she doesn't know what to do with herself because he's leaving in the morning and he knows that David Melcher's in town and like there's all this sexual tension and then he's like you should go on up to bed you've had a long day well she drinks champagne for the first time right and gets kind of tips Ugh. yeah romance trope getting a little drunk drunk on champagne allows you to open yourself up and then he goes to bed <laughs> she goes to bed and then a few hours later after staring it at the moon it talks about her kind of masturbating yep. thinking about him and like feeling such desire and she kind of has this moment of clarity where she's like David's not coming back this is my last chance knowing what making love is and it's all I want to do and she has a clarity like in her direction and so she goes to Jesse's room in her wrapper <laughs> and she's like let it be me let it be tonight and he's like I can't do this you'll hate me in the morning and he has this and whole, she says what does it matter if I hate you in the morning he's like, I'm not it matters to me and so then there's this role reversal where he like is trying to use her propriety and her rules to like stay the situation and really like suss and protect out his heart protect his heart and also suss out consent like how drunk are you eventually like she wins him over and they have this insane sex so the first sex scene very realistic very realistic well he's not disappointed because he knows it's not going to be great right. but he doesn't say like because it's your first time ever having sex he says we're two people having sex with each other for the first time and this is the thing I don't understand about hookup culture do you have good <laughs> sex with anyone the first time you have sex with them I don't know it's never happened for me <laughs> we don't know what we like we're two people who haven't been together in this context and like we're really not even good at making each other happy in other ways so this is going to take a couple tries and a lot of talking right and the fact that she's like so upset like she's gonna leave the bed and she she's feels like, like she's just disappointed him. right I failed you and he's like you didn't like this is what it's like you know when people don't know yeah. each other and don't know how to communicate and the scene is so sweet and then they have sex again in I want to stop because okay. I want to explicitly point out what happened here yeah a romance novel yeah. had a realistically <laughs> disappointing sex scene it did that was still managed to be sweet and charming and likable yeah and it was likable and charming because it was real and like you had all of the fears manifested and spoken by Abby being like I disappointed you and it's like you didn't that isn't what the thing is it's just like we don't know yeah, how to speak is, to each other this is part of it this is part of right. being together and 
we get being to, bad at it the first time and we get to do it again yeah and then they do it again and it's, and she's like i don't want to do it again he's like okay well just, we'll just don't snuggle. go to just don't go to bed without me right and we'll then just, they have sex again in the morning she gets on top and they try different things and he lasts longer which is also a thing the book is honest about that he like can't because he's been wounded and it's like it's so he, funny yeah. that it like does that where it's like he just it's like the race to finish and he's like I know this isn't good for either of us but like let's just bring this to a swift close. well he has a thing where he's like his interiority is shared in the novel he's like if I can last longer maybe she'll like and then he's like that's stupid and he hurts so much <laughs> he's unable to control his orgasm he's a little embarrassed about it but he's like oh, I'll get a second chance you know it's just very nice it was it was really nice the sex scene in the morning because he wakes up first and she's all covered in like dappled dawn light and he starts kissing all the way down her body and like waits for her to wake up before he continues with oral sex and then like you know they do oral sex and then you know she's on top and like everything is different and brighter and softer and like more relaxed and it's not freighted with everything that it was in the night yeah and then you know they have sex and like you know they're gonna go clean up and then she's in the kitchen sort of making breakfast and she won't make eye contact because she's embarrassed and like all of the propriety is coming back up she came and she didn't know what it was right and then he says this thing to her where he's like we all need reassurance sometimes in the morning after and even if that reassurance is just a hug or a look like yeah. you know everything's gonna be okay and like it's right for you to want this it's right that you did this and he like hugs her and she's like stiff and still won't look at him and he has this thought where he's like I guess that like my reassurance is just knowing that she doesn't hate me and yeah. like I won't be reassured because she doesn't have it in her to do that for me today well and he also has a thing where he's like I have to come to her as a friend and not as a lover right because I can't continue because I have to leave she's right. gonna be so mad at me when she finds out that David Melcher is here and he yeah he's dishonest with her about that and he's like I have ruined all chances of a future with her yep. because I wanted her so much yep. this book takes certain difficult truths about masculinity and shows them as not destructive right like shows them as a result of vulnerability of wanting to be loved of sharing love and not having the tools or the confidence to do so I think this book for I'm being, a little choked up I get it I'm like I think this book for being written in 1981 is surprisingly generous on both accounts of like what it is that masculinity does to harm yeah right like Jesse harms Abby in being deceitful but also like giving all of the space to be like Jesse feels bad but doesn't know what to do yeah and that feels really real and she also doesn't give him the space right to be real and to reassure him she shuts down herself all the time because of what's going on right in her internality which is I did something wrong I had sex I'm a bad girl yeah I'm a bad girl I'm going to hell is a thought that she actually has yeah like I don't deserve this I don't deserve to enjoy this moment and I think for 1981 like that's clearly like this book is clearly speaking to its own moment is like also for 2019 this book is you know there's nothing about Jesse where he like is like thinking something elaborate and emotionally articulate that's the thing is like sometimes heroes their internality is so emotionally articulate Mm -hmm. and the average het dude is not socially conditioned to have the same kind of articulation of emotional labor. emotional yeah women we're doing it all the time from the cradle yeah I mean 
just expressing feelings to one another and not just verbally, physically. You know, we're always grooming and we're always touching and we're always looking deeply into one another's eyes. I actually heard... It's actually a really good point. A trans woman poet was talking about her struggle with, like, when she was trying to identify as a man, just her pure envy of watching women talk to one another and her own wife talking to her daughter and being like, fuck. (laughs) And as she started to become one with her gender, physically one with her gender identity and living that truth of herself, thinking, how am I going to do this? Because it's so overwhelming. And I think, God, I'm just getting sloppy. But like, I'm just working through ideas. They're not fully formed. I just want to share them with my friend Isabeau. Like, I think there is something so touching in this realm of fantasy to show the reality of a social condition and how it can be still deeply romantic and deeply fulfilling. I think it's the thing that you've said on this podcast before where it's like they're both broken and they're both broken in really different ways and like the author does such a good job of humanizing the brokenness and like making us understand and root for two broken people in a broken world just trying to find a sliver of happiness where they can. That's enough. That's a pleasure in itself. Right. We don't have to go outside of our bounds to have a fairy tale. Right. And the fairy. It's there. Yeah, it's already there. Yeah. Broken people finding happiness is a fairy tale. It's true. And, you know, working at it. Yeah. And this book is about working at it and like all of the ways in which you work at it wrong and work at it at cross purposes because like you don't have the full story and you don't have full access. The fact that we have access to both characters and they yet never have full access to each other, I think is like one of those things that's like really unexamined about the romance genre itself, Mm -hmm. where it's like we're so as the reader exposed to full access to both but like they are still working in the dark towards one another they're still working in the dark towards one another I love that I like that's what this book is that's what we're all doing that's what we're all doing that's what we're all doing if we're seeking out any kind of romantic relationship hey there listeners this is Isabeau This week's episode is brought to you by the company Lola, a female-founded company offering a line of organic cotton tampons, pads, liners, and all-natural cleansing wipes. What's wonderful about Lola is that Lola really gets the thing about having periods and sex as a human being. Unlike other major brands, Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. No B5 or mystery fibers or doubts about what's going in or around your body. Lola products come in simple, customizable subscriptions. Lola will deliver exactly what you need and exactly when you need it. And that's what's wonderful about this company. Another totally awesome thing about Lola is now they do sex products, things specifically designed for your pleasure, including condoms and personal lubricant. I don't know when, listener, you were first introduced to the Trojan Man or condoms ribbed for her pleasure. Ha ha ha. Condoms have been aggressively marketed towards men and their desires. But what about our needs as women? At Lola, women come first. They understand that women should be empowered to make decisions about their sex lives and their ultra-thin lubricated condoms are made of natural rubber latex and individually tested for contraception and STI protection. The ultra-thin design and premium medical grade silicone oil lubricant ensures a safe experience without sacrificing any of the sensation. And that should come as welcome news to all pleasure participants. For me, the personal lubricant 
environment is incredibly exciting, not the least of which is because it's water-based, which helps with all of my fun toys at home. But it's also made with aloe vera, which is soothing and smells good. <laughs> the key benefits are mess-free dispenser, long-lasting glide, made without irritating chemicals. And here I want to remind you that personal lubricants are made with parabens, petrochemicals, glycerin, which goes into bombs, synthetic flavors and fragrances. Lola got none of that. Lola understands that you want a chemical-free, gynecologist-approved, hypoallergenic, made-for-your-pleasure experience. All this is to say that Lola is a female-founded company offering lines of organic cotton tampons, pads, and liners. Sex products, too. And what's so great about this is that having women at the head of a company for women products just makes it all the more personal, all the more pleasurable, all the more thoughtful. For 30% off your first month subscription, visit mylola.com. That's M-Y-L-O-L-A.com and enter woe when you subscribe. One last thing that I want to note is that I had a conversation with one of my dear friends who's just leaving college now. She's much younger than I am. <laughs> she was telling me about her experience with Lola and she had this wonderful thing to say where the boxes were custom and discreet and so that she didn't have to worry about you know what was showing up at her dorm but even more importantly she felt empowered by the experience and that like it didn't even have to be discreet because she got to own her period experience in a way that she hadn't before and that feeling made her feel good and that's all we're looking to do here so that's mylola.com and enter well for 30% off your first month subscription and with that listeners mwah. Okay, so mm. after they have this night of lovemaking, amazing, he goes out and buys an elaborate suit, and she's like, "How can you afford that?" He's like, "Don't worry about it. Bye." Yeah. <laughs> they have a fight, and she's like, "How do you have this much money?" And he's like, "No, no, no, you am I'm leaving." And she finds out David's in town, and she finds out that he knows about it. She's rightfully hurt. They but have I- the fight that he knew was coming, and he handles it the way he had decided he was going to, to which handle. Is by- dipping totally and I want to say one thing about this suit it's peacock green and like she uses the color name to like fucking at him about it because of her red shoes he was a dick about her red shoes exactly like they're like hurting each other in the same way yeah like he's gonna show up all fucking beautiful and, and she's be like, mean to me and not let me wear my boots I'm gonna wear my fucking boots you and, fucking dick exactly and she's like it's a beautiful suit maybe it's not the color that's the problem it's the man wearing it that's the best <laughs> yeah she really cuts to the core of him she really does um but she's like genuinely an actually witty hero and heroine yeah so anyways david shows up they have this weird court trial where like david is suing the train company of which jesse owns the yeah. major finds share. out jesse owns it yep and he's like i want ten thousand dollars and then jesse's like fine take you it you have to spend most of it in this town, town because he wants david to stay there and make an honest woman of abby of abby and which does. is the exact opposite of if i can't have her no one can yeah it's if i can't have her i still want her to have a good life yes an actual good hero. <laughs> so, oh my God. And then, you know, Jesse disappears and we have this whole, I think this novel is in four acts. It is in four acts. So for we're sure. in our third act. David settles into the town. They start dating and the, the townspeople have heard a rumor of an outburst from the guy who owns the train station from Jesse. And they're like, she's a woman pursued by two men. What 
is her deal? It's like Abby. We, Abby? Our Abigail? Abigail? Mackenzie? And David turns out to be like a really charming person. Mm-hmm. He becomes very popular in the town. He proposes to her and she says something. She says, you have done something for me that I've never been able to do with myself. And that's make me a part of this community. Yep. And you have a moment as a reader that will continue for many pages where you're like, oh, this is nice. It is nice. Like she's found her place. But it's not as nice well, as hold Jessie's mustache. Okay. She's going to open the shoe store with her husband. Her name is on the sign. She's become a softer woman. Mm-hmm. Less of a rod up her ass. She doesn't wear her hat everywhere. She becomes so likable yeah electable yeah she becomes electable to the people of the town and they publish their engagement announcement Mm -hmm. and jesse comes to town in a snowstorm yeah he does and with his camera okay i just want to tell everyone what happens it's so hard i mean i really want you to read the book you should like hardcore spoilers ahead this ending is so fucking worth it oh my god everything you've read up to this point all right the first act of the book you're like i'm reading this romance novel second act you're like this is a romance novel third actor in a weird fugue state fourth act holy baby holy shit we're bringing this train into the station it's gonna blow your fucking mind it's a screamer um it's a screamer jesse shows up jesse shows up in a snowstorm two days before the wedding two days before the wedding and she's hanging up the bell in their shoe store and he's laughing with his friends about his women and their sensitivities and then he's like of course i'm coming home for dinner and well she sees jesse in the window and as she's walking home she's talking to him she's like you gotta fucking bail i don't know why you're here and he's like i'm allowed to be here why are you here and she's like what does that mean he's like i just want to wish you well on your wedding I want to give you a gift. I want to give you a gift. So she's like, absolutely not. Get the fuck out. Her fiance comes. They have dinner together. They have a lovely night. He leaves. Turns out Jesse was waiting out in the snow the whole time for him to leave. Comes into the house, kicks (laughs) off his boots. Like a tauntaun on hot. Dirty shearling jacket. Oh, fuck me. Comes. (laughs) Then I'll see you in hell. (laughs) (laughs) They sit down and they just talk yeah they just talk for hours until four in the morning and he's like you know what I want you to be happy but I want you to be sure about it that's all that matters to me you are a woman who has questioned everything and fought everything your whole life and I hope you actually feel like this is what you want and she's like great thank you for respecting that And he's like go put on your fucking wedding dress hold on no not yet shh Quit skipping. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Quit. And so you're like, oh my God. I genuinely thought for a second she's going to end up with David. Yeah. I was like, Jesse isn't the hero. David's the hero. Sleeper. Fucking, can you believe it? A romance novel put me off the scent of a happily ever after. Yeah. So red she gets shoes. Dre- so she gets ready because she's going to get her portrait taken by this fancy photographer that David has hired at the hotel in town. She goes to the hotel. The hotel manager is like, oh, yeah, the photographer's upstairs. She goes up to the room that she's been given a key to. It's fucking Jesse's room. Jesse's Jesse room. found out from his photographer friend that he was hired to photograph this wedding. He's like, I've got a bamboozle. And so <laughs> he has paid off this photographer. She goes to the photographer's 
his room. He's asleep. He's like, fuck you. This guy's going to pay me more than you ever would. Have fun getting your wedding portrait taken. And Jesse's like, listen, you can tell David that I was here and also that I was at your house last night. Scumbag. That dirty little scumbag. Fucking asshole. That asshole. What Knows that dick. she's not. She's what like, a dick. Gotta get this portrait taken. And she's like, fine. I don't want to talk to David about it. Like he knows like her actual lack of connection to David's going to. Well, I don't know if he knows. I genuinely believe he kind of lets himself go. He doesn't know where it's going to go. He he's, guesses. He's gambling. He's, yeah. he's gambling on it. Throwing the dice. So she gets dressed up in her little wedding dress. And he's like, I'm going to mess up your hair. And then he's like, your portrait should look like how your husband wants to remember you, which is after the party. Freshly tumbled. Freshly tumbled. So he like makes her rub her lips together to try to recreate the look of someone who's kissed a lot. Oh my God. And then he's like, and you need to have the look in your face when somebody tells you that they love you. And he's like, Abby, I love you. Abby, I love you. And he's like, say it back. And she's like, I love you too, Jesse. (laughs) And she's like, (laughs) and he's like, no, it's David. And she's like, I love you, David. (laughs) He's like, no, I love you Abby and then they kiss and he starts feeling her up <gasps> in her satin and like, wedding dress he rips her dress and she's oh like my, my wedding dress he's like I'll buy you a, a new, new one, one. <laughs> ah! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god it's very dirty it's so dirty and he's like does it make you feel like this and she's like no, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then and then we get David's perspective. We get David's perspective. He came to the hotel, wanted to check on things, was sent up to the same hotel room. The door was cracked open because she insisted on it. <laughs> <laughs> Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. He listens to the whole thing where the guy's like, what does he say? He says something like, does David make your breasts feel like He literally this? says, does David make your breasts feel hard? <laughs> She's like, no. He's like, who does? And she's like, only you, Jenny. Only you. And David's like, oh, my God. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she's like, you know what? No, I want to be with Jesse. He leaves. Jesse's like, listen, did you not want to do that? Did you not mean what you said? He's like, all right. They fuck. Yep. They go to the shoe store. They do. It she has breaks her up name with on it. David. She does. She gets on a train to travel America because it turns out it doesn't fucking matter if you're <laughs> likable. You should find someone who wants you for you and will take you on a train from that town that didn't like you. You don't have to fit in with those assholes. You're a fucking star, baby. Gotta go where your light shines. And you gotta be with the person who lets your light shine. Best happily ever. Ever after, ever. Mic drop. Best fucking romance ending ever. Best romance ending ever. The whole third act with David, Mm. I love because it showed that she could. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, she doesn't need to. And I think like I love that one of the most important things that maybe we don't see often enough in romance novels, especially of our moment where it's like you really have to hit 325 pages. And like this book clocks in at 404 (laughs) and like worthwhile, worthwhile. And maybe it is that extra act where it's like this is what your other choice is. And it's not a bad choice. It's not death. It's not detriment. It's not. But it's less than you deserve. And it's less than. And you need to recognize that because this is what you used to want. Yeah. This was like the floor before. This was also the ceiling. Yeah. But now there's a new ceiling. There's a new ceiling because your hot fucking man can take you on. Nothing has ever made me like a secret billionaire. (laughs) Except whenever he rips the tits out of her wedding dress. And she's like, oh, no. 
And he's like, oh, yes. And he's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I totally forgot the moment when he breaks the pearl veil Mm -hmm. that she had specially redone her mother's veil. Her mother's veil and wedding dress. And And her mother's like this whole other thing that we haven't talked about. Oh, my God. And she says, it was my mother's veil. And he was like, you didn't even like your mother. And I was like, I love my mother. Not only does he say you didn't like your mother. He's like, good. She wasn't good for you. Yeah. And it's like, fuck. Oh, my God. Oh, Ooh. my God. Yeah, because her mother was the person who gave her the rules of propriety. And then and there's, like and told her she was a slutty little slut slut yeah. who needed to rein that in. But the other thing that like Jesse fucking get, he's like, I understand that both you and your father were not loved enough. Yeah. And, and that both of you were harmed. Nothing has ever made me love the concept of a secret billionaire more. And when he rips her wedding dress and says, I'll buy, buy you, you another a new one. one. <laughs> it doesn't even matter for him at that moment whether or not she leaves the guy. He's like, I'll fucking buy you a new wedding dress. It's I true. can do whatever I want. <laughs> and you can do whatever you want. Yeah. And I mean, like, I hate capitalism. <laughs> but sometimes. But damn. Yeah. I obviously would feel differently if I had fuck you money because there's all these terrible people with fuck you money who aren't just giving it away and I think they started off feeling the way I did but then they read Hummingbird (laughs) (laughs) and they're like oh this is what money can do well it fucking sucks like so many secret billionaires are like do you know how money's gonna fix your problem helicopter to wherever you want no do you know how money's gonna fix your problem you're able to let some dude rip your wedding dress for another guy and then buy you another wedding dress if that's the choice you want to make if that's the choice you want to make like it's that hard shit yeah that becomes Less hard. Yeah. And a helicopter doesn't really emotionally resonate Mm -mm. as much as that silk wedding dress. Which is also the thing about Jesse that is like constantly the choice. Like the choice is yours. Like I'm going to rip this wedding dress. I'll buy you a new one if that is the choice you make in 25 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Back to our regularly scheduled programming. Because we. She goes on a fucking luxury suite train at the end and she's like, you know what? I don't need to fit in with this fucking town. Also, this town has never appreciated me for all of the things that I am. Yeah. Why am I trying so hard for you asshole? None Bye. of you cared that I was like broke ass and about to eat my shoe leather. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it is the best fuck you money ending. It is. But it's also the best romance ending. I love that it's been all this time being like, see, she can fit in. And then being like, and it fucking sucks. Fitting in is for the birds. She's getting on her fancy ass train to nowhere. With Fucksville, USA. He was like, do you want dinner? Do you want a bath? Or do you want me? And she's like, all three at once. And I'm like, (laughs) yes, girl. You deserve all three at once. Woman, get yours at the same time. At the same time. You deserve it. It's true. And you know what? The book is like, she fucking worked hard for this. She kept that guy alive. Not only did she keep that guy alive, but she like spent 10 years keeping her father alive through a merciless sickness alone. And the town wasn't there for her. Yeah. It says, you've done enough. Now is your time. I've never read a romance novel that was so enmeshed in the idea that like your time has come, baby girl. And it's come in the form of a mustache and a dark man who wants to take you away. (laughs) And I think there's something so amazing 
thing about like this is the only happily ever after I've been like perfect <laughs> worth it loved it everything I needed no notes like I think about the first romance novel I read and I truly loved it was A Week to Be Wicked by I Tessa Dare but she ends up having this like private country wedding and becoming a private country wife and publishing secretly under another name. A man's name. This romance novel? Zero compromise. She's like, should I say goodbye? He's like, do you want to? And she's, she's like, like no. no. And he's like, just get a suitcase. Let's hit it. Baby. I love it. I do too. I love it. Oh my God. This week's episode of Womance is brought to you by Audible. Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Audible keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. You'll find more stories when you listen with Audible and always be a part of the conversation. With the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, and on any device mobile alexa enabled bluetooth and more listen at the gym while shopping in the car traveling anytime you can't read you can listen with audible audible members get more than ever before every month you can choose one audiobook regardless of price as well as two audible originals from a fresh selection members stay motivated and inspired with unlimited access to exclusive guided fitness and meditation programs sign up for free updates from the new york times wall street journal and washington post delivered daily Daily to the app. Audible members can easily exchange any title they don't love at any time. And members keep their library of listens forever, even if they cancel. That's a deal. Start a 30-day trial and choose one Audible book plus two Audible originals absolutely free. We highly recommend taking advantage of this free book by, by getting Morning Glory by Laverle Spencer. Unabridged. The regular price is uh, $41. Yeah, but you get it absolutely free if you use our code. Morning Glory, the unabridged version is narrated by Kate Forbes. For those of you who don't know, Morning Glory by Laverle Spencer was adapted into a made-for-TV movie starring none other than Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves! So, you know, you can't watch the movie, you can't read the book, you gotta have your hands free, you gotta have your eyes free, because you're flying a plane. <laughs> Get Morning Glory by Laverle Spencer on Audible! Narrated by Kate Forbes. It'll feel like glory in the morning. You can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook, two Audible originals, absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash woe, that's W-H-O-A, or text woe, W-H-O-A, to 500-500. Once again, listeners, that's audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash woe, W-H-O-A. Start listening with Morning Glory and think about all the things that you can do with your hands. <laughs> Mwah. Mwah. weirdest part. Oh, when the doctor gives him his unloaded gun back? Yeah, what the fuck was that? Dr. Doherty? The hero, Jesse, just threatens her with an unloaded gun to get her to feed him good food. Pork chops. Real asshole move. And then she like spends literally an entire night thinking about how to get the gun from him and like slips underneath the bed and waits for him to be asleep to like maneuver the gun out from underneath the bed springs. But he was awake the whole time and he's like, you think you could 
and wrestled the gun for me. And that's the first time that he kissed her breast. Yeah. When she tried at, to get the gun from him. At gunpoint. And then the next day in church is when she gets all wet. <laughs> and she thinks about him kissing her breasts and holding her at gunpoint. And then goes to the doctor and she's like, I don't know why you gave this guy his gun back. He's like, well, it's not loaded. There are no bullets in it. And she's like, fuck <laughs> all of you. That's why I hate this fucking town. How could you not tell me that you gave him his gun back without bullets, Dr. Doherty? It's in my fucking house. And then she goes back to him and she doesn't like try to trick him or anything. She's just like, that gun doesn't have bullets, you dick. And he's you like, are a dick. And he's like, that was a dick thing you did. He's like, it didn't have bullets to start with. You were the one who thought it had bullets. It is very weird. That's a very weird part. That's my weirdest part. That is a weird part. What's your weirdest part? That's hard because the gun thing was up there. You can have that as your weirdest part. No, there's enough in this book. That's weird. That's weird. Yeah. Also that the mother isn't mentioned until the third act and then <laughs> becomes like a real primary driver. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing. But I also think David's foot fetish. Yep. And also the book's foot fetish. That he'll limp forever. Well, no, like she talks about Jesse's feet. All the goddamn hairy time. Toes. First of all, team foot fetish. Of all the fetishes, like please air that. Put that on your Okay, Cupid profile. Like, that's very, like, nice and normal. You know what? Relative. It's nice and normal. You can get fucking buck wild out there. Sure. A foot fetish is nice. If you haven't had your toes sucked, get your toes sucked and tell me you don't like foot stuff. Like, fuck you. It feels great. Have you ever had a pedicure? Yeah, exactly. Like, get out of here. Foot stuff feels nice. That's that. But this book had the kind of, like, foot fetishism that's kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where you're like, God, there's a lot of fucking feet. Yeah. And <laughs> no one talking about it. Right. It's just like constantly showing up. Yeah. Like her shoes and the heels and also, the long hairy toes. Yeah. Whenever he, she goes to see him, like his feet are always exposed. It's like, all right, Laverle. I'll tell you what, the only thing that can make this book better for me is a fetish and it does have one. <laughs> and so I, I kind of wish they would have just like remarked on it more. Well, delivered on it. Right. Because it's like foot fetish blue balls. Yes, for sure. But I don't think a foot fetish is something that women often have. No, I think it's mostly men. Yeah, because we've seen men's feet, you know, for heterosexual women. Yeah. But this book really made men's feet sound appealing. And I was like, whoa, in lieu of a mustache, he's still got those toes. Yeah, it's true. I'm trying to think of another weird part. He's constantly yelling at her. Yeah, it's an adversarial. It's definitely an enemies to lovers. And the gun thing. I mean, it doesn't get much weirder than that. Yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Sexiest part. How do I count thee? How do I count thee? It's like, well, look, okay. I'm going to say we should put a rule on this because obviously the sex scenes are very sexy. Even the bad one is very sexy. So sexy. But this book is sex wall to wall. Wall to wall. So you got to come up with an obscure sexiest part. All right. Well, it's not going to be that obscure and I'm going to go first. So I roll. <laughs> Tits out. It's the scene at the creek when he's like, hey, hey, Abby, I'm oh, thirsty. my God. Get me some water. And she's like, I don't have a <gasps> cup. And he's like, use your hands. And she's like, what the fuck are you even talking about? I'm not going to do that. He's like, use your hands, use your hands, use your hands. And then she finally, she's like, fine. And then she like makes a cup of her hands. And then like, she does it all wrong. And it gets all over his chest. And it's like gleaming in the sunlight and like dribbling down his chest hairs. And she's like watching it. And she licks his lips. And he's like, I didn't get enough. (laughs) 
<laughs> she like does it again <laughs> effectively the second time yeah that was the first time where i was like oh shit i'm about to get like fucking bowled over i have this book is going to ruin me yeah that was my thought where i was like if this is the prelude oh fuck i'm not ready for dinner <laughs> i am not ready yeah that was my thought hmm. okay okay mm-hmm. wedding dress no that's too obvious <laughs> i've one, talked though, about so. it <laughs> Link. The part in general when she's like healing him mm-hmm. and like the physical closeness and the like unabashed like nudity and vulnerability and the like reversal of roles is so to be honest, like it really puts you in the shoes of the heroine where you don't realize it's happening, mm-hmm. that you are so entranced by these interactions, but they are basically described like a sex scene. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is romance novels are very cerebral. The good ones drop that once they get to the sex scenes and it becomes very corporeal. Mm-hmm. This book is corporeal all the way through, mm-hmm. which I think is why it's so sensual. It's so sexy. The payoff is so great. And so, okay, okay. So for example, he wakes up, he regains consciousness and his internality is like, I don't know why my throat's so sore. And it harkens back to this moment you didn't realize you were titillated by and now you're titillated by it. Where she puts the straw down his throat and touches her lips to his to blow the liquid down the straw. Which is also then, I didn't even (laughs) realize until you mentioned it, but is then mirrored in the post-coital penetrative PNV sex scene when she gets out of bed and is sore. Yeah. (sighs) And doesn't know why. And he's like, you might want to like have a bath and some Epsom salts. Yeah. How old is she? She's 33. She's 33. And part of the thing about that book is like muscle she hasn't used before. It's a it's a book that like really appreciates a fully formed grown woman. Like there's nothing about like and does talk about like the hollow of her hips Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But it doesn't it doesn't ever describe her as live yet womanly. Yeah, exactly. It's, It's not like training in that capital of youth. Right. Or even beauty. Yep. Sexiness and sexuality is something her body can signal whenever she bites her lips to swell them up for the photo. Whenever the water falls on his chest. Like bodies are something that can become sexy, but their sexiness isn't inherent in their bodies. Right. Which also means that they're like inherent worth isn't centered in their youth or sexiness. Yeah, physical beauty. Right. Although he is physically beautiful. beautiful. But it doesn't say anything like, oh, he's so beautiful. It actually says he's kind of fearful to look at. Like he's like a little too masculine. Yeah. Reminds me of that Tom Waits song where Mm. like, People say I'm handsome. I've got a masculine face. <laughs> uh, so good. Oh, my God. I can't even. Daniel L., whoever you are. You're a romance, Daniel L. Do you have any other recommendations? How do you know Laverle? Shook it. Reminded me all the ways in which this is a genre for and about Mm -hmm. and speaking to all of the problems in society, but with like tenderness, gentleness and like earnestness. And that like male gaze 
is not here. It is present in a lot of romance novels. And as heterosexual women, as women, period, we have learned how to find pleasure in the male gaze. But it it feels like a dream reading something that is sexy and not centered on the male gaze. No, and like has beautiful brief moments of like true female gaze. Yeah. And it's like, oh yeah, that that is for me. I have that. I do that. That's me. That's for me. (laughs) Two can play that game. Men. Love it. It's nice because it's a book. It is nice. Womance or no man's for you. Womance. I'm going to recommend this to everyone I know. (laughs) If you haven't read it, you're getting it for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) This is what Santa Isabeau is delivering. Hummingbird by Liverell Spencer. A Minnesota native who started writing (laughs) at the tender age of 34 and sent her first manuscript to... Kathleen Woodowis! Before she sent it to an agent or anyone else, she's like, Kathleen Woodowis, I was framing a flower and it meant so much to me. And Kathleen Woodowis gets this book in the fucking mail in 1979. And you know what she does, listeners? She reads it, first of all. She reads it, first of all. And second of all, she sends it immediately to her own agent. You want to talk about signal boosting? You want to talk about sisterhood? You want to talk about building a genre? You want to talk about fucking guts and glory? You send yourself to a Kathleen Woodowis. Yeah, Kathleen Woodowis, you send them to your agent. agent. You don't fucking like Mm -mm. tell people about it. You send her to your agent. You say, this is good. I know quality. Invest in this woman right now. This writer, this artist. She has a voice. She has something to say. If you really believe that about someone, give them your platform. It's non-patriarchal. It's matriarchal. It's matriarchal. It's the thing that we should do. And when I read that story on Wikipedia, I felt all of the things that I felt about this book times two, you know, where it's like, I love Mm. Kathleen Widowist. She's got a lot of problems, but like the idea that an unknown married mother of however many in Minnesota, two, two, could send her work to a great and say, what do you think? And Kathleen Widowist didn't just do her the service of reading it as a professional. Gave her the time for free. For free. To read it. To read it. And then she's like, this is great. I will do the next thing I can do, which is send it to my agent. All the way up. All the way up. All the way up. And that's what we need to do. When somebody comes up behind you, you take them by the hand and you say, all right, what can I do for you? But maybe you read the book first because maybe they suck. Def, read the book first. She didn't send it unread. Maybe people just need some feedback and some time to grow. (laughs) But if you find a voice that is worthwhile, rather than being intimidated by it, give it space, give it a platform, lift it up. If you find yourself in a position where you have heard or read or experienced something and you want to recreate it or you feel inspired by it, give that thing the the platform and a voice. And don't feel selfish or jealous of uh, the space you've been given because that would be what the patriarchy actually does. People go around a lot and saying, because patriarchy, while they, I don't want to say shut down, but put themselves in opposition to something that they appreciate. I had an incredible creative writing professor and he said, the smallest act that you can ever do in this class is feel intimidated by how good someone else is mm-hmm. and like examine That's your own. That's the smallest act. Yeah. Examine your own smallness. And I was like, oof, I'm going to carry that with me. Right. Yeah. And that's what this was. That's what that anecdote is. It's like Kathleen Widowis is as expansive as her metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm happy to know that. Yeah. And also like, come on now, Kathleen Widowis, what do you have to feel intimidated by? <laughs> With that, listeners, loosen your stays, but never your principles. 
Whoa, golly gee. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. Womance is hosted by Isabel. That's me. And Morgan, that's me. Production is by Nick Gravelin. Our webmistress is the incomparable Jane Bonzak. And our illustration and logo were created by Mary Reichman. They're the best. If you'd like to follow, creep, or connect with us on our social media platforms, you can find us at mans underscore woe on Twitter, womance on Instagram, or email at womancemail at gmail.com. You can also hang out on our amazing website at womancepodcast.com. You can support us by using our code to visit our sponsors or go to our Patreon where we are Womance. Womance is officially part of the Frog podcast network discover more podcasts just like our own centering on romance and reading at frolic.media slash podcast until next week Mwah.